mean, that was a very mellow intro for a guy like me. And I'm trying to figure out how not to make that a hard transition for you all. Come right out the sheet and be like, good morning, North Point, how are we doing? That's, so there we are. It's all that. Hey, what are we excited about today? Any, anybody? Are we excited about anything? I mean, it's Super Bowl Sunday. Is that a thing? I don't know. Is that, do we care? Groundhog Day, Puxatani was, uh, was out or not out or something. Spring's here tomorrow. It's sunny out. That's a thing, right? Uh, I don't, I don't know, but, uh, my friend, if you know, um, uh, my friend Maxine Clan, one of our life group leaders, she's pretty excited because today is 02022020. Oh, that's, if you got nothing else going on, you know, and that, that's backwards and forwards. What's that word? Pal- palindrome? Pal- Paternity, I don't know, something like that. That's good. So, um, so here, here's, here's where my brain was this morning is that, uh, there is this cultural phenomenon that I love and hate at the same time. Now, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if that's possible to love and hate something at the same, is that possible that you can love and hate something at the same time? I don't know if that means I need professional help. I don't know. I really don't. Like, can you like loathe and adore something at the same time. I don't know. Is that ringing a bell with you guys? Do you feel like you have stuff like that in your world that you, or my, I'm super weird, aren't I? Here's this cultural phenomena before too many of you answer that question. This cultural phenomena that I think about, we call it reality television. Now the love and hate thing makes some sense, huh? Are we on the same page? Are there some of you that like love it and hate it? Like, in our, in our world, we've, in my family's world, we use often this phrase, it's like a train wreck, like you can't look away, but you don't want to look at it. You know, I have, I have friends, there's weird people out there that love showing you like their wounds. Like, do you know these people? If they if you're one of them, you're weird. Like, just get over it. Like, it's cool. Jesus loves you still, but like, it's weird. And they're like, Hey, want to see my, and you're like, I'm always like, no, like, but then there's some people who are like, no, yes, no. So can you love and hate stuff at the same time? Reality television, maybe it's good just to have a little moment of confession this morning for our souls. If you just love it, there's no hate for you. You just love reality television. Just stick your hand in the air and be proud of that. Whoa. <laughs> like a couple of you were like, oh. Back when I did youth ministry, we called that peer pressure. We said that was bad. <laughs> All right, then, uh, how many of you guys just straight up hate it? Like, you hate, I hate reality. You guys lie. You know, it's just the way that is. Reality television, uh, Wikipedia, which is where you go when you want to learn stuff, says, it describes it as document, uh, documentary purportedly unscripted and real-life situations, often unknown individuals rather than professional actors, and it tends to be interspersed with these confessionals or short interview segments in which cast members reflect on uh, or provide context for the events being depicted on screen. Uh, in 1992, there was a show MTV uh, put out called The Real World. If you remember this, it's The Real World is uh, is is purported to really have uh, launched the modern genre of reality TV. They weren't the first, but they were maybe the first that did it in such a way that harnessed a culture. Uh, a real short Google uh, uh, search listed the top 10 reality TV shows. And, you know, you feel free to resonate with this. Uh, number one being The Real World. Number two, Survivor. Some of you guys that said you hate it, you're going to start going, oh, yeah, watch that. <laughs> How about The Bachelor? Don't raise your hand. American Idol. uh, The Real Housewives of fill in the blank. There's like 600 of them. Uh, Laguna Beach. The Hills. 
Jersey Shore, Project Runway, and The Amazing Race. Some of the top 10 reality TV shows. Now you got, some of you guys are feeling guilty, right? Because you're like, I hate it. Oh, yeah, I remember. My favorite didn't even make the top 10 was uh, Duck Dynasty. <laughs> remember Duck Dynasty? <laughs> I know some of you, you're lying before. You hate it, but we watch it. Right? We hate it. We love it. We do it. I, uh, recently, I haven't watched Duck Dynasty in a while. I don't even know if it's still on, to be honest with you. I don't know what happened. But, uh, but the one that I've been captivated with lately is the Dog Whisperer. Now, the reason, I don't, I don't even know if that's considered reality television, unless you're a dog and not a dog. We don't even, we don't even have pets. That's the, that's the funny part. Like, I'm, cap, I'm, I'm binge-watching the Dog Whisperer. We don't have pets, but I'm thinking I'm learning all kinds of great psychological principles to use on the people around me. So I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm super looking forward to, because some of you watch it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. We love it and we hate it in reality. We, we, so the question that's sitting out there is why do we love, unless you're the few people that hate reality TV, why do we love reality TV so much? Just let that sit for a minute in your head. If we were sitting like Amy suggested in a room over coffee having this conversation and I asked the question, why do we as a culture, as a people, love reality TV so much? Why has it become this uh, juggernaut of a genre of television? Uh, I, I'd submit that it's potential. There's more reality TV on now than there is, you know, scripted out, written television. So why is that? Like, why are we in such love with reality TV? And there might be a myriad of answers, but the one that I would suggest is, is being at least close to the top of the list, if not on the top of the list, is we just love the unscriptedness. We love this, this real, raw, authentic thing that happens. Like, you watch it, and they're just real people, and you're not going to sure what they're really going to do, but they're really going to do something. That's why we love it, because it's just this like real thing, this unscripted, real thing. And that's what makes it so fun. Real people doing real things in real time. But here's the problem with this. At this point, we all recognize, I think, I hope I'm not ruining an ending for you, that a lot of reality TV, it's really not all that unscripted. <laughs> it's scripted. You know, because there are just not that many crazy girls in the world who all fight for some creepy dude. Right? That's just... That's, and I'm, I'm sorry if I offend you like the bachelor's your jam. Good for you. Like, Jesus loves you. That's a cool thing. But, but there's just, that can't be real, right? I mean, you look at that and you're like, that's just not. And so we begin to recognize that reality TV, this unscripted, raw, authentic thing has really become more domesticated, controlled, and contrived. And honestly, it takes a, a ton of fun out of it for us. I'm still watching the dog whisperer. I don't care. But, but it takes this fun out of it for us. And so this morning we start a, a new series. I, I'm actually going somewhere with all this. We want to Get this in your brain. Trust me. Hang with me. Today we start this new series on a practice that probably most of us have struggled with at some point. In your journey with Jesus, my hunch is uh, that this has been, um, there's been seasons or maybe it's still the season of where this practice that, that you hear, we hear often people say is so important for us to be doing. We just, we just struggle with it. It's just hard. And the practice we're talking about is prayer. And so we begin to think about prayer and this idea, and what does that look like, and what does that mean? And it probably conjures up all kinds of stuff in your brain, but we're calling this series Unscripted, because kind of like reality television is supposed to be this raw, authentic, genuine, and honest thing, we really want to give permission over these next few weeks as we look at it for that to be true of prayer, 
that it's just this unscripted, raw, authentic, real thing. It doesn't have to be this, this, this awkward, unusual, uncomfortable, um, situation. At some point, and we'll look this morning at it, at some point in the past, I think it was that. And then somewhere along the way, we tried to domesticate prayer. We wanted to make it more safe. And so we put all these things into the mix that just made it, um, I don't know, weird. We tried to make it manageable, and really it just, I think, sucked some of the fun and power of it. If, um, if you were a kid and you grew up in church or Christian home, you probably learned a bunch of scripted prayers, right? Maybe at bedtime when you go to bed, you learn this, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord, my... So some of us learn that, right? Or maybe at the, uh, at the meal table, uh, we all folded our hands and bowed our heads and we prayed, God is great. God is good. Let us thank him. So I'm not the only one, right? I don't know if it's maybe just a California thing that did this, right? But we learn these scripted prayers. Maybe you, uh, were in a, a faith tradition or as you got a little older, you learned the, our father who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, right? And and I don't want to knock that because those things were really good when you're when I was a kid. Those were really helpful. Those were really helpful. Maybe even as a new Christ follower, those are really helpful, good things. Matter of fact, when our kids are young and they they want to learn to ride a bike, or you decide it's time for them to learn to ride a bike, a lot of people we, we put training wheels on the bike, and that's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that. Learning scripted prayers isn't a terrible thing. That's a good thing. Uh, training wheels for an eight-year-old is a good thing, but training wheels for a 48-year-old, <laughs> right? We kind of look at it like, that, that seems like maybe his growth is stunted a little bit. And I, and I, I think kind of the same thing about prayer. And I want to be careful here because if you pray in a scripted way, I don't want to knock that, but I want to think differently. Like, like if you were in a faith tradition that taught you a bunch of prayers to pray, to get this or that, or to do this or that, or for forgiveness or whatever, I don't want to knock that. I just want to maybe elevate our thinking uh, this morning and over the next few weeks into what it could be. Instead of something just wrote and memorized, what could prayer be in our world? And so what I want to do this morning, I want to look at the scriptures. We're going to be in the book of Genesis. And so if you have the North Point app, it'd be a great time to take it out. If you don't, it'd be a great time to download it. We've got some extra content in there just for app users. Um, and then at the end, there's some cool pieces too that would be a lot easier to do if you have the app. If you're not into smartphones or technology, that's good for you. Uh, we'll have some screen behind us and hopefully you got some places to take notes. But we want to be in Genesis. Uh, I go to Genesis a lot. And if you spend time with me, I, I know I'll probably bore you by going to Genesis all the time, but here's the deal. Like Genesis one through three sets up so much of our theology, like so much of we know about God, about us, about the world, about everything is set up in those three little chapters. And there's such richness there that I don't think you could ever fully mine all that's there. And so we go to Genesis and, and we know that God made everything and that it was all good uh, except man. He created man and he said, that's not good because man was alone. And so the next moment God fixes that by creating woman and, and, he, and he, he matches them, he meets them together. And he says that it's very good because woman completes man. And, and these, these two people were, were united and they had oneness and there was no shame at all. All was right with the world. And that's the first couple chapters of Genesis. And this included communication. Like men and women spoke to each other and communicated well. And man and woman spoke to God and communicated well. And then we'll see here in a second, things seem to get tweaked out of, out of order. It's interesting because communication between man and woman 
people to people, and communication between people and God. Those two, those two planes are very linked. And so this is free this morning, so this isn't really part of it, but if, if, if all your human relationships are messed up, I want to suggest that you look this direction too. So my hunch is that probably the relationship between you and God is messed up. Or if you feel very distant from God, your relationship with God is very out of whack, I'm going to suggest that these relationships are probably out of whack as well. There's just this interesting connection. We begin to see this in Genesis, the first couple of chapters. But at this point, all was good. Communication was good. There was oneness. They were together. It was a very, very cool thing. And in a moment here, sin is, sin is going to enter to the, the world and mess everything up. And so what we're doing this morning is we want to look at the specifics of what prayer was like, communication between people and God before sin entered the world. And the way that we kind of got to look at that is how it changed after sin enters the world. So what we know about how what prayer was like is how we see what it is post-sin. Does that make sense? So that's what we want to look at. Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say, You must not eat from the tree in the garden. Did God really say. That's an interesting phrase and I think sets up this concept of what prayer sounded like before sin entered the world. There's this idea that there was this direct line to God. Like people talked to God and God spoke back. And I know we use that phrasing today. We're like, well, God told me to go wash the car or whatever. And, And more than likely, you didn't hear an audible voice that told you to do that. But I think in Genesis 3, 1, 2, and 3, I think they heard the audible voice like God spoke directly to us, this is direct communication, nothing in between. They talked to God, God talked right back to them. And it's interesting because lots of folks say, well, that would have just made life so much easier. If God just told me directly what to do, it'd make life so much easier. But it didn't for Adam and Eve. Isn't that interesting? Like, I just obey God if he just told me clearly what he wanted me to do. But it didn't work that way for Adam and Eve. But I think it begins to set up what prayer was like before sin. Uh, chapter 3, if we drop down to verse 8. It says, uh, and this is the conversation with the serpent, the woman happened and, and she eats from the fruit and Adam eats from the fruit and then they, they realize they're naked and they're ashamed and everything starts to fall apart in verse 8. It says, the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. I think that sets up a picture of what prayer was like before sin. They heard God in the cool of the day. This seemed to be a regular pattern. Like God would just drop into their place in the evenings to have a chat. That'd be cool. I mean, kind of terrifying too, right? Like if you knew God was going to show up at 6.30, you know, people are like cleaning their house all crazy and stuff. Like God's coming. What a picture of intimacy and closeness. No longer is there a sense of distance, or, but then there was no sense of like distance. It was like God was just with them, dropping in, regular patterns, a cool thing. We get to the second half of verse 8. This is getting the cool of the day. God drops in. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And they hid. Before sin, there was no hiding. There was no reason to hide. There was no awkwardness between people and God. They just talked to him and, and he talked back. It was like this really natural, simple thing. They were just comfortable being with God. And I got a picture of some of the days, and I don't know how long between when God created Adam and Eve and when sin enters the world. I don't know how long that lasted. Was that like two days? Was it a weekend? Was it a hundred years? I, I don't know. But however long that length was, like people were just comfortable being with God. And I got to imagine some of those days when God showed up for a chat, maybe they just walked the garden. Maybe they're just together. 
a lot of times, for me at least, and I don't know if it's helpful for anyone else, for me at least, it's helpful when I think about relationship with God, kind of like I think about relationship with people. Early on when I'm, when I'm dating Emily before we're married, we, we spent a lot of time just being together. We talked a lot too, but sometimes we just grab a coffee and watch people at the mall. Now we'd go to Walmart and watch people, right? <laughs> just watch me just together, right? And it felt great. Right? We've been together now 20-something plus years, and, and, and sometimes we're just on the couch together in the same room, and maybe we're both a little tired of whatever from the day, and we don't have any more words left, and so uh, uh, that's it. We're not spending a lot of time having this deep, in-depth conversation. We do that, too, but we, it, it, maybe some days we don't, and we're just together, and there's just a withness that feels right. And I think this is the picture of Adam and Eve, people and God in the garden. There was no reason to hide. They're just comfortable being with God. But because sin entered the world, now they're hiding. And the reality is that we've been hiding ever since. That's kind of what we do as people. We hide uh, uh, from each other and we hide from God. And so when we talk about praying and communicating with God, it begins to make us uncomfortable. Because some of our natural lean is to hide. And we're like, well, I can't talk to God because if I talk to God, then he's going to know what I did. And I like, uh, you know, ruin the ending here. He knows what you did already. And he wants to be with you even still. He knows me, and yet he still wants to be with me. And so we got this hiding thing going on. Verse 9. It says, uh, they hid among the, the trees of the garden. It says, but the Lord God called to the man, where are you? The Lord God called to the man. This is interesting because we, we got the picture already that it was a regular pattern for God to show up and they're just walking and chatting and Adam, they were just there. When God showed up, they were there. But now because of this hiding thing, this faking thing, it's like God no longer is just, uh, it, it just drops in and they just start talking. It's, it's like he has to shout for them or, or try to find them or somehow get their attention. God says, where are you? And it's not like God didn't know they were hiding. I always say it's like a five-year-old playing hide-and-seek, you know, when they just close their eyes and scrunch up and they think that they're hiding. It's not like Adam and Eve were in like a bush that God couldn't find. God knew exactly where they were. So why does he say, where are you? It's almost like God has to get their attention. What used to be a natural concept, communication with God, has become kind of this, this weird thing where God now has to try to somehow get people's attention to spend time with him. And, and people, on the other hand, spend more energy hiding from God. They, they try to present or they try to posture before God. And in prayer, this plays out. We see this, right? I mean, you've ever prayed with people, you know, people who like, I call it the King James prayers. And I love the King James, don't get me wrong, but like they have all these really important, big, flowery words and I don't know what they're saying. Right? And, and, and somehow folks think that maybe God hears that or something. You're like trying to put it on for God. And I'm just like, I just, I don't think that's the way it's supposed to be. Right? But we do that. We spend more time hiding than we do just being with God. So we get to verse 10 and it says, because God says that, where are you? And, and Adam answers, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And God said, this is, this is the coolest question on the planet. And God said, who told you you were naked? Like, like God asks the right needed question. He doesn't ask the obvious question, like, cause I think the obvious question is like, why are you hiding? You're like, you're dumb. I can see you. I see you right there. You're just covering your eyes. You're not hiding. Right? He doesn't ask that question. It's super obvious. He asks the much more important question. He says, who told you you were naked? See, hiding was an issue, but I don't think it was the issue. The issue was rooted right in what this question is. The bigger problem was who now was telling people things? 
See, in other words, who have you been listening to instead of me? There was this season where, where, where God, where, where I spoke to you and you listened and you got your identity from me. But now you're listening to someone else. Who, who is that? Who told you you were naked? Who put that identity on you? Who accused you of that? Who shamed you into that? Who have you been listening to instead of me? What voices in your head shaping your identity instead of my own? Like you've traded me for something else. Like you've, you've taken less than and that's taken my place. And God says, who told you you were naked? And then we get to verse 12. And I think it's the saddest verse on the planet and yet describes our human condition so perfectly. The man said, it was the woman you put here with me. And we read that and we chuckle because we hear the woman part. And so Adam starts to blame Eve. And I don't know what happened in that moment. If she gave him the look or he had a little snap of intelligence or something or stupidity because he moves from blaming her immediately to blaming God. It was the woman you put here with me. Remember that? You made her and you put her here and now we're in this mess. Like he moves right from, it's almost like he had this moment to, to, to fess up, maybe restore relationship, to, to do the right thing. But Adam chooses to accuse or to blame, deflect, uh, anger. It just goes south so quickly. It moves from this open, honest communication with God to listening to somebody else's voice, to hiding, to, to now posturing before God. And now we make excuses. And so this just plays out in prayer because we put that mask on so quickly, and, and I don't know if maybe I'm the only one, I'm alone in this, but, but often my prayers, sometimes I feel like I'm making excuses to God of why I can't do, or won't, well, no, I would never say won't to God, I'll say things like, well, I'm not the right person, or I shouldn't do, or it just becomes this, this, this mix of excuses and blame and deflection, and so there you go, that's the very first prayer <laughs> ever prayed, right, Adam and Eve in the garden, Here's what I think we learn, and maybe you can make this list longer, but here's four things that I think we see of what prayer was like before sin entered the world, the way that it's supposed to be in its perfect state. Here we go. Number one, God spoke and listened, and people spoke and listened. Seems really obvious, like there, there wasn't these long, quiet silences. It was just this conversation that happened. Here's the second thing that I think we see. It's the natural prayer. It's the natural state of people in God. It's like, it's like, uh, not, uh, the, the, it wasn't this awkward, unnatural, forced thing. It was just what they did. Right? Third thing is that it was open and authentic. There's no shame. There's no awkward. It was just people communicating with God. Right? And the fourth thing then is that it was intimate and close. So God was literally right there. It was intimate and close. There was no sense of distance in between. And so, and so here we are now, though. We live on this side of sin entering into the world, and sin messed up everything. It broke everything, not just our relationship with God and, and doomed people to hell unless they have a relationship with Jesus, not just um, the way we communicate or, or our bodies that break down because of illness or age. Like, that's all a product of sin. The fact that our planet is in turmoil and we have uh, uh, terrible conditions and deteriorating conditions and whatever, like, that's all a product of sin entering into the world. And when I say that I don't mean it's like your sin, like you sinned, and that's why you're not praying to God. I'm talking about just the fact that we live in a sin-broken world. It's created the scenario that we're in, and here's the four things that I'd say we see from Genesis uh, 3 of kind of where we're at now. Number one is we're talking at God versus talking with him. 
So what used to be an incredibly natural conversation of God speaking and people listening and people speaking and God listening, uh, we begin talking at God. And I get it. It's sometimes a struggle because like God doesn't typically speak back to us and whatever our history and experience and upbringing was, we tend to view God as up there <laughs> and we're praying to someone up there. And then we use a word like prayer instead of uh, conversation or talking. And so it just gets kind of weird and we feel like we're talking at God. And oftentimes our prayer lives are filled with demands or excuses. Hey, God, heal this. Hey, God, I need this. Hey, God, I want this. Hey, God, I need you to do this. And, And that's not bad, but it could be so much better. Or it's excuses. Like, God, hey, I, I know you wanted me to talk to that guy, but I, that guy's weird. I'm not talking to him. Or, I, God, I, I felt that prompting that you wanted me to give that, but I need that, so I'm not giving that. It's like filled with excuses or demands. Here's the second thing of where kind of the situation we find ourselves in now with prayer is that prayer seems unnatural or forced. It just seems awkward. Now, this isn't true of everybody. Some, some people are like, no, it's supernatural for me. Maybe you've moved a little past that, a little further in the journey. That's been a progression for you. But, but kind of the, the stereotype is that it's kind of unnatural. So we have to find time to pray. Like, I'm so busy. I don't have time to pray. And so I got to go find time to pray. We all know the reality of finding time. There, you don't do that. It's like you can't find time. There's no time. The time's crazy. It's elusive, right? So we got to find time to pray. It just seems so unnatural. And, and I asked the question, like, when's the last time you had to find time to breathe? And I'm not talking like like you're, you've been going at 100 miles an hour and you just need to take a break for a minute and go, whew, that was crazy. I'm, t- I'm talking like just the natural process of breathing. It's funny because if you've done any speaking at all, like public speaking, that's actually a thing. Like you have to know when to breathe. And and that's kind of weird. And public speaking is this kind of unusual, awkward thing. But in normal life, like you don't find time to breathe. It's just natural. You just you just naturally do it. Matter of fact, in, it, I don't want to freak you out, but if you like laying in bed at night and you're like, start thinking about breathing, like you'll get freaked out. Like, am I going, do I want to, do I have to remember to breathe? Like I used to get freaked out as a kid, especially like, oh my gosh, no, I'm thinking of it. Cause when you start thinking about breathing, it gets weird and unnatural, right? But breathing is just this natural thing that we do and prayer should be that, but it's not any, anymore. Here's the third thing of the scenario we find ourselves in with prayer is that it's awkward and uncomfortable. And so we say stuff like, I, I don't pray out loud. You're in a group, you know, you're in a life group or whatever, and they're like, hey, you want to pray? Like, oh, I don't pray out loud. But you talk out loud. <laughs> but, why? but I don't know, I don't pray out. Because it's become this uncomfortable and awkward uh, thing. It's, it's kind of bizarre. It's, it's interesting because, uh, you know, my, my wife, she's my best friend. I love talking to her. I don't find it awkward and uncomfortable. And without ages, okay, without going to, there are things that husbands and wives do that are much more awkward. With me? And yet, we don't find that awkward and uncomfortable. And yet, there are couples that tell me, oh, I find it super awkward talking to my spouse. But then, that means that the marriage is unhealthy. Let's figure that out. And then, we talk about couples, and we're like, oh, I could never pray with my spouse. That's super weird. Prayer has become this awkward, uncomfortable thing. I think we continue using the training wheels then. So, we pray these rope prayers, and we just kind of say what... Whatever, and, and, it, and, it, and it's just, it's awkward and uncomfortable. It doesn't have to be. Here's the fourth thing, is that uh, prayer has become distant and cold. 
what, what used to be this intimate, close thing between God and people, we just had this communication with him, and it was just rich and awesome. Like, it's busted because of sin. And so it becomes distant and cold. And oftentimes we feel like it, it just reading a list to God. And I'm, I'm not against making prayer lists. It's great, because I forget everything. I write stuff down. I'm all for that. But sometimes we just end up reading those lists to God. I was watching a movie last week. I don't remember what it was, and, and he was praying. I, I can't remember the movie. If I remember it, I'll tell you. He was praying and, and through a list, and then, like, partway, and he's like, well, you get it. Here. <laughs> just show... <laughs> something really poignant to that. Like if it's just a list, you know, because it's become this distant, cold thing. Or sometimes we pray because we think we have to, but, but we forget uh, that there's actually a God who cares and is listening to that. So here's, here's where we want to go. Here's what I want to say is uh, let's reclaim prayer. Right? I think if we put some thinking into it, we can get it back. That's part of all this Jesus' redemption power. Like Jesus died, came to earth, lived, died, rose again to, to redeem us. Not just to have relationship with God and go to heaven. That's a cool thing. But to redeem those broken parts of sin. And some of those don't get redeemed right now, like our bodies break down because of illness or age or whatever. That's That gets redeemed eventually when we get new bodies and go to heaven. That's cool. But there are things that get redeemed now. And I think prayer can be one of those, if we put some energy and thinking towards it, not as yet another thing I have to do. Oh, great. Now I got to pray too, right? But, but as this regular unscripted expression of a natural relationship, again, if we think about it like marriage, just that conversation that you have is great. If we think, and again, if you have a healthy uh, relationship with your parents or with your kids, conversation was part of the package, Right? You just talked. It was kind of natural. And I think that we can get back to that as well with prayer. Over my, my own life journey, I've had problems with prayer. This has been a complication for me. I'm just, I'm just being straight with you because, um, I, I always hate when guys in the front stand up here and talk like they, like they got it all figured out. And, uh, prayer has been difficult. Like, like the questions, just a couple of the, uh, less terrifying ones that I ask about prayer is like, uh, do more people praying really make a difference? Like, if I have a hundred people praying for something, like, does that strong arm God into having to do it? So, like, put his reputation on the line with more people, and so God will, like, eh. I mean, that's, that's, what a weird question to ask, right? I churn through that. If I'm honest, sometimes I, I think things go easier when I don't pray about it. Because if I pray about it, and I don't get what I want, I'm angry. Right? But if I don't pray about it, I just blame myself, right? Isn't that weird? That's weird stuff, right? But, like, we ask these weird questions about prayer. I was like, does, does all my asking for this or that really make a difference? Like, like, God needs a reminder that that little girl is sick. And so I have to remind it. Like, man, if it, if the world depends on me reminding God of stuff, we're in deep, deep trouble. Right? And then, and then there's all these verses in the Bible on prayer that in a series on prayer, we sometimes love to bring up like James five says the prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. The prayer of a righteous man. I go, oh, I'm doomed. <laughs> I should just give up. Or first Thessalonians five, it says, uh, pray without ceasing. Oh man, that sounds like fun. I was going to pray all the time. I don't have to go to work or eat or what. And Mark 11, it says, uh, Jesus said this, like, whatever you ask in prayer, believe you've received it and it'll be yours. 
And I think, well, yeah, I'm in deep trouble because I pray for a lot of things I don't have. (laughs) So obviously I'm super, I don't even know what that means, right? First Timothy 2 says, uh, as Paul read, he says, I want men to lift, lift up holy hands in prayer. So like, am I supposed to close my eyes and fold my hands? Or like, if I open my hands, my eyes, does that like mean it doesn't work? Am I supposed to stand or sit? Like a lot of people in the Old Testament, they like lay down and pray. I don't really want to lay down. A lot of people are super into kneeling and my knees hurt. So when I kneel, I'm like, ah, that's all I can think about is how much my knees hurt. I'm not praying. What am I supposed to do? Right? And then Mark 1, it's talking about Jesus, and it says, Jesus, rising very early in the morning, went out to pray. And I'm like, oh, the morning sucks. <laughs> I don't want to get up early, and I'm going to fall right back asleep. Like, I can barely uh, stumble down the stairs and get a cup of coffee. So, so we got all this stuff, all these hang-ups, all these questions, all these things with prayer. So what do we do? Often folks give up. They just don't. They just don't pray. Or they, they stick with the training wheels of prayer. They memorize a couple of prayers. They just sort of rattle those off. Or maybe they have an item that they hold while they rattle that off to try to just sort of get through it. Or, or maybe they just quick to say things like, well, I don't pray out loud. That's private. Or um, we do this in Christian circles a lot. When someone tells you something's going on, you're like, oh, I'll pray for you. <laughs> no, no, you won't. <laughs> you're going to forget as soon as you walk out of here. And some of us remember in that. But sometimes we just use that phrase. Kind of like the grocery store when you get there and the checker's like, hey, how you doing? And you say, fine, how are you? She goes, fine. And all your lives are falling apart. But we're not going to have that. So we just tell people, you know, hey, I'll pray for you. We don't, we don't like stop and pray for them right then, right? Because that's weird and uncomfortable and awkward. You know, I might put me out there. We're like, I'll pray for you. And then I forget. Some people just give up. That's what they do. Because sin has it all messy now, so we try to like script it out somehow. It took me a long time to sort of figure out what prayer looks like for me, and, and maybe over the weeks I'll share with you what that looks like. Because I, I did where I landed, but it probably looks real different than most people and how, how they pray, and I'm okay with that. And, and how we figure out who we are and how we pray, I think, is vitally important to our relationship with Jesus. Like, like if you feel like your prayer life is great and rich, then these five weeks you're going to love it because it's going to get, I think, even greater and richer if you dig in. And if you feel like, God, oh, geez, stop talking about prayer. Don't make me do this. You know, like I, I hear you, man, and I, and I think this is going to be a great season of just beginning to think about how you're wired and what prayer is like. So over the next five weeks, that's what we want to do. We just want to explore this whole idea of prayer in a kind of an unconventional way. We want to expose us to this unscripted, authentic state of it, and God willing, help us all develop our prayer lives. At the end of each week, we want to give uh, an assignment out. Um, if you've ever been to school, we call it homework, but we all, you know, school homework. Eh, so we'll call it an assignment. A real practical thing that you can do for that week that just sort of launches maybe an element of prayer or helps you uh, think about it a different way. And so this week, uh, we've got this spiritual type assessment. So if you have the app, you'll see the link at the bottom. You could just click it. You literally could take it right now. It's 15 questions. If you don't do electronic stuff, you, you have to figure out how to write down the link up on the screen there. It'll be on the video later if you watch online at home or whatever. If you just want to zip to the end of it, you'll, you'll see it there as well. And um, 15 questions. Don't get too hung up on the spiritual type. Like, don't let that freak you out or nothing. Like, just, just notice in the description of your spiritual type uh, of what it suggests for prayer. Like, that could be a really helpful suggestion. There's, there's, there's four types that I don't like, like get all into this, but like, there's the sage, prophet, lover, and mystic. Sage, it talks about prayer for you probably is verbal. And so begin to think about, well, what are some ways that I can do that? And it'll explain it a little more. Prophet, like you're probably into like centering prayer or daily exam and group Bible study, a little more formulaic. Person, how do you, how do you really lean into that? 
right? The lover is for you. You're just really praying in the moment about whatever's on your heart, you know, and that's kind of how you're wired. And you really dislike like organized prayer time. The mystic, you're probably more into like poetry, meditation, wordless prayer, candles, art books. You're more artsy type. And that's really how you lean into prayer. Here's the only point of all of that. Take it 15 questions. Do you like this? Do you not like this? Do you like this? Do you like that? Super simple. Uh, and just understanding how God has wired you a little bit. Where your natural lean is, I think go a long way to helping you figure out, helping me figure out, uh, how can I make this thing we call prayer, this communication with God, just natural and rich and take it back to sort of what it was intended to be in Genesis. I think we have that ability. I think God gives us that privilege. And so, so this will take you 10 minutes to have a lot of fun with it. And then, um, hopefully understanding a little bit about how we are helps us move to a healthier prayer life. Sound good? Stand on up. We'll sing. It will be done this morning. Thank <laughs> you.